Hi, listeners. This month on Substances, we're trying something new and exciting with our podcast. Instead of just interviewing someone, we're going to try to build more of a story, and we want your feedback. Chat with us on Facebook, leave a review on Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. We always love hearing from our listener on how we can explore new ways of getting information to you. And now, on to the show. Have you ever wondered why you aren't inundated with Chinese news and bloggers on a daily basis? How is it that 20% of the world population, nearly 1.35 billion people, exist within a firewall that separates Chinese internet from what we think of as the internet? Our theme this month is walls, which to be fair, is a vague concept. So in this episode, we want to try to explore one particular wall, the Great Chinese Firewall. And we want to try to answer a couple questions. Number one. What is the Chinese firewall? Two, how does it affect the Chinese population? And three, how does it affect you? Michael Anti, aka Ding Zhao, is a Chinese blogger and gave a TED talk in 2012 where he talked a bit about the firewall. So, if you are a fan of the Game of Thrones, you definitely know how important a big war for an old kingdom. It prevents weird things from the north. Same was true for China. In the north, there was a great war, Changcheng. It protected China from invaders for 2,000 years. But China also have a great firewall. That's the biggest digital boundary in the whole world. It's not only to defend Chinese regime from the overseas, from the universal value, but also prevent Chinese own citizens to access the global free internet, and even separate themselves into blocks, not united. So basically, internet has two internets. One is the internet, the other is the China net. So what does that mean exactly? Applications that you or I might know, like Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, don't exist on the Chinese internet. They're blocked by this giant firewall also known as the Golden Shield Project. And while you might think that censorship is decreasing in our modern era, you would be wrong. WhatsApp was blocked last month for Chinese consumers, and virtual private networks, or VPNs, are becoming unstable. That means Chinese internet users will have more trouble accessing the other internet than they did before. And in August of this year, the Chinese government passed a new cybersecurity law stating that no anonymous posts are going to be allowed in China. If you want to post something, you have to use your real name to register. This might be somewhat of a problem for dissidents who may want to disguise their identity and protect themselves from government backlash. We talked to Nadim Kovisi and James Gong to get some expertise on the matter. So my name is Nadim Kobesi. I am a PhD a candidate at uh, INRIA, which is the National Computer Science Lab here in Paris, uh, in France. And I've been working on secure messaging uh, 
um, and end-to-end -end encryption in uh, secure messengers and other uh, digital communication platforms for quite some time now, probably six or seven years. Uh, this is the final year of my uh, three-year PhD program. Uh, I also run a uh, small uh, research outfit called Symbolic Software, which I'm currently only running part-time since I'm also uh, working on my uh, finishing my PhD. Hello, James. Good to be here. I'm a lawyer based in um, in, in the Beijing office at uh, Habersmith for Hughes. Um, my, I'm specialized in um, telecom media technology laws. In China, uh, I've been advising um, major national clients and uh, domestic clients on um, the TMT laws and also on cybersecurity and uh, uh, personal information protection laws. Um, cool. Um, and so to someone like me who doesn't really understand a lot about this subject, how would you explain the Great Chinese Firewall? So the Chinese firewall is a large network of infrastructure that's uh, cordoning off the Chinese internet. Um, and the way it does that is by uh, essentially installing itself as a midpoint between the Chinese user, the internet service provider, and the rest of the world, all of the um, you know part of the internet that's outside uh, uh, Chinese soil. So the Chinese firewall uh, is essentially an a uh, decentralized network infrastructure that receives orders from a centralized authority and then has to implement these orders across uh, various Chinese internet service providers. And uh, the orders tend to be things like uh, block this website, censor this content, and so on. And so the, the ideological roots and the political roots of the Chinese firewall seem to stem from a very different ideological understanding of um, what it means for uh, well, rather, the, the value of free speech um, or uh, what it means for speech to be moral. So in the in the West, uh, in Europe, Western Europe, uh, America, and so on, um, freedom of speech is considered to be the moral absolute when it comes to speech in most cases, whereas in um, China, um, speech is considered moral when it doesn't offend public sensibilities, uh, when it doesn't cause uh, instability, when it doesn't cause controversy. So freedom of speech, per se, is not so much a prized value as it is in the West, uh, at least not by the government. So if you look at it that way, probably from the Chinese ruling class perspective, censoring things on the Internet uh, is not really an act of censorship from their view. It's an act of maintaining public order by removing offensive and irresponsible speech. You know, it's essentially an act of self-discipline, maybe uh, from their point of view. That's a very thorough description. Thanks so much, Nadim. And being a lawyer that lives in China, how do you define, in different terms maybe, what the wall is to your clients, James? Uh, 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 a, a wall, a, a, some sort of a, a wall that controls the border of China in a, in a cyberspace. So everything that goes from China to abroad, or anything that that cross the border from uh, from abroad to China, will go through that wall. So purely, um, so it impacts citizens in China by just they can't see certain things online. Sure. Um, for example, they can't. Uh, it, so it manifests itself differently. There's the more sort of oblique way that this pops up in the case where you can't visit, you know, Facebook or. 
BBC or other news websites, uh, uh, a lot of uh, services for uh, end-to-end encryption, uh, sorry, secure messaging or uh, secure communication, private communication are blocked. Um, but more generally, also, even in the sanctioned and uh, allowed uh, Chinese-run services for social uh, media and, uh, and uh, chat, like WeChat, for example, or Sina Weibo, uh, also face uh, content level censorship. So the service itself is not uh, completely cut off, but uh, if a particular meme starts trending on the service, uh, for example, questioning some uh, political scandal or uh, uh, making fun of some political official or, uh, for example, referring to some uh, controversial political event in Chinese history, a uh, popular example is Tiananmen Square, uh, you will yeah. see that particular discussion also uh, suddenly disappear or not be accessible uh, because the service itself, like Sina Weibo, the most popular social network in China, or WeChat, a very popular chat service in China, will get a request from the Chinese authorities saying that this conversation offends public sensibilities, uh, spreads false allegations, uh, rumors, um, is, is an irresponsible uh, discussion topic, and to maintain... Uh, the uh, public uh, harmony, you know, they, they use terms like that, which sound very strange when translated to English. Uh, mm. They sound very like a very odd context. Like to maintain public harmony, we need to remove this content from the internet because it's unharmonious. Um, and it really, to me, when I see those terms that I've never seen to describe an internet situation before in Europe or in the States, it really strikes me as a fundamental cultural difference. Um, uh, really, and uh, I, I think at least partially, it's really just motivated by a different, by, by a fundamentally different cultural approach to what speech even means. So, when we're thinking about how that would impact a Chinese user, user, they would never know that they're not seeing so much of the internet, or is there kind of a idea in China that like we know we're only getting whatever the firewall lets us see? Um, I think for, <clears throat> I mean, the existence of this. Um, this kind of controlling information flow it, it, it can be felt by anyone who's trying to um, visit a, a foreign website because you know uh, the the major foreign websites such as Google, uh, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. I guess that's the the websites that that you use on a daily basis outside China. And all these websites are blocked in China. So anybody who, who who's trying to use this website will, you know, will be, not be surprised to find out that these they, they do, do not have access to this website. So I think uh, it is not a, it's not a secret in China. Um, but I guess nowadays um, there will be a, a, a <laughs> there will be the Chinese. Sort of substitute for these websites for the Chinese people um, in China. So I would say most people would normally uh, not need to um, to access this blocked website. So on a, on a in a daily life, they perhaps would not feel that kind of control. So uh, that uh, you know, as um, uh, as causing the an inconvenience to their life, but if you, your work or your or your interest lies in the in the in the in the uh, in, in, in the visits with in, in access 
to the foreign information or to a foreign website, then then you definitely feel that a little bit with, um, frustrated by the kind of the blockage of, of these websites. So let's say there is someone that wants to be politically resistant. How would they go around um, getting around it? Or is there, I've heard that VPNs are sometimes used? Sure, VPNs are used all the time. Um, so a VPN is this basic way that you essentially, instead of connecting to the internet uh, directly, you connect to some uh, computer server somewhere that's not in China. And then you use that computer server as a, a midpoint for you to browse the internet. So. Uh, from the viewpoint of the Chinese internet service providers and the firewall itself, it seems as if you're just connected to this one server um, and not actually connected to any of the websites that you're visiting through the server. They cannot see that information directly. They would have to do some digging. And so it's a very cheap way to bypass uh, the Chinese firewall um, just by hopping on uh, this uh, you know, extraneous server and uh, using it to uh, browse the internet. So this is a popular technique. Essentially, VPN services get shut down um, whenever the Chinese authorities discover that one of them is being used a lot. And also, it's actually becoming illegal. Uh, and it's been illegal, I think, for a while, but also even punished by fines uh, if you get caught using a VPN. Uh, also, there are some other technologies uh, like Tor, uh, the Onion Router, which is essentially um, it's not a VPN. It kind of works like a very advanced VPN in the sense that instead of just routing your connections through some particular fixed point outside of China, it actually does this uh, random rotation of uh, volunteer uh, uh, servers, uh, all of them located all over the world. And it uh, routes your traffic through a random network of these servers by hopping it across like three or four different nodes and encrypting it. Uh, for each node, and so it's this kind of like guerrilla warfare approach to VPNs, if you will. Um, so Tor is a uh, project that is actually um, run by the, um, it, it's it's mostly based in the U.S., it's run by volunteers. Uh, it started off as a U.S. Navy project for completely different, unrelated use uh, uses, and uh, then it uh, was funded by uh, uh, freedom of speech advocacy groups within the U.S., um, at some point received some sponsorship from the U.S. State Department specifically because it is useful in uh, freedom of speech situations. Uh, and now it's also, again, I think, uh, run um, still run by volunteers and uh, funded entirely by uh, volunteer effort. And so does it affect anyone outside of China at all? Is there any sort of impact for people who don't travel to China? For people outside China, they will not, I mean, if they will ever need to visit the Chinese website, I guess most people would not need to do that um, in, in a daily life. Then, I mean, it, it should be all right. Only a few websites in China have restricted access uh, from the from from uh, from uh, uh, from foreign from foreign countries. Um, and most websites are open to to foreigners. So it, 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 for for foreign uh, for foreign internet users, it, it should not be a big com uh, impact on them. I think the issue here is that when you are using Facebook or YouTube uh, or or you know other uh, websites, uh, as uh, if you are from um, outside China, you, you will find it. Very 
uh, hard to hear the voice of those um, internet users located in China because they do not use these websites. If you're traveling to China, for instance, this would obviously immediately affect you.、Um, but would it be something that you think,、um, let's say, someone normal would notice upon going there, and they would be fully aware of it going into the country? Well, if you're you're coming to China,、um, well, if you are on the say you're using a foreign、uh, SIM card,、uh, so you're on say Vodafone or、mm-hmm. O2 or T-Mobile. It, Uh, normally, you sh- you should not be affected. I think this this is a very clever firewall, so it <laughs> recognizes that you're using for its part.、Uh, and the, it, normally, it, it does not block these websites. I don't think that it's it's such a huge deal that you would be、um, you know like prosecuted or or harassed by authorities were you to visit China. I just think that it's a more passive sort of.、Uh, um, Uh, local uh, content uh, management situation.、Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, this you know、uh, content management is probably a euphemism for how extreme it tends to be in, in terms of censoring free speech and, and pre- preventing access to、uh, to news sources or uh, or uh, self expression、uh, tools on the internet. But really, I I still believe that in spite of all of the、uh, odd ways that.、Uh, And extreme ways that censorship manifests itself in China. This really does seem to be partially uh, a uh, cultural difference,、um, which is strange, but、um, certainly certainly appears to be that way. So I, I, I think that、um, I think that the Chinese psyche sort of justifies it、uh, partially as some kind of、uh, fundamentally different approach to what speech is. But at the same time, I think pragmatically it is there、uh, primarily in order to.、Um, Uh, just prevent any sort of、uh, political instability or challenge to the ruling class. Now that we have a better idea of what the Chinese firewall is from a legal, cultural, and technical perspective, I think we at Substances can, and we hope you, our listeners, can answer the questions: What is the Chinese firewall, and how does it affect the Chinese population, and how does it affect you? It may not feel like a wall in the traditional sense. But the Chinese firewall certainly acts like a wall in the virtual realm. It censors content for the Chinese internet users and blocks access to well-known websites like Facebook and Twitter. We want to again extend our thanks to Nadim and James for talking with us and taking the time to explain this really important part of Chinese culture, and ultimately how Chinese citizens see and understand the world. If you have any comments, email us at dosageofrepartee.com, write to us on Facebook. And check out our website at sub-dances.com. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for listening in, and we'll chat to you next time.